The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Got a text today from a client. I want to start with this text tonight. I think it's appropriate, and I think Miss Gandia would laugh her ass off at this. The individual said, Bill, I've done everything you told me not to do since we last talked. Let me repeat that. I've done everything you told me not to do since we last talked. And, um, I said to him, don't you think you should listen to me? And he said, ideally, yes. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right, I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And you know if my suit's still on, it's been a long day. They get to throw my hoodie on or whatever. So, let's rock it. Tonight, we are going to talk about an amazing woman. A woman who was like a third mother to me. Somebody who was inspirational to me, and that is Dolores Gandia, Miss Gandia, aka Gandhi. You know, and I want to give a shout out to Scott Grable before we start tonight. We had a huge hearing today. Huge hearing. And we were very successful in the hearing. And Grable kept calling me. And I told him, hey, I'm going to call you back. I had to call the family, tell them what happened, blah, 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 everything's going good. So I get on the phone with Scott. And I said to Scott, hey, guess what? We won that motion. He goes, hey, I've been calling you all day. So what's going on? He goes, I need to tell you that I hate your taste in music. Scott, I got amazing taste in music. What an insult. you believe that? What do you think of my taste in music? All right. Live audience says good. You're, You're pivotal for this. You are. The live audience kicks ass. <laughs> the live audience gave me the throat slit signs. So I gotta stop now. Okay, Miss Gandia, let's kick it back to the 90s in Atlantic City. I am living in Ducktown, Atlantic City. Some of you heard that before. Let's give a brief overview on that. Ducktown in Atlantic City was, it was a bit of a war zone in the 90s. Uh, we lived right next to Pitney Village. So Pitney Village, there's this brown fence that separates us from Pitney. Pitney was gang central. We were the last white family in the neighborhood. Went to AC High. Now going to AC High was kind of difficult. AC High was really segregated. The Vetner and Margate kids went one way. The Atlantic City kids went this way. In essence, that meant the white kids went one way and the minority kids went another way. Being white... And living with the minority kids was a challenge. I've never actually been a minority in my life, but I, for that short time period, I understood some of the things that come with that. And it was a hell of a journey. Freshman year sucked. Uh, it was just really bad. Sophomore year, things changed a little bit. Sophomore year, I had journalism and English with this woman named Dolores Scandia. And Miss Gandy, I could say, unapologetically, Miss Gandia changed my life. 
She led me down a road I didn't even know was possible. I'm going to talk a little bit about that right now. So, my sophomore year, we were living in a row house, right? And it was me, Mom, Aunt Mary, and Grandpa. And Grandpa was my symbol of what a male figure was. And sophomore year, he died. And it was a brutal time for me. It was tough. You know, you're poor, and now that you become the man of the house automatically at this point at 15 years old. And Miss Candy didn't know me that well at that point, but she saw I was in pain. And she told me there was something special in me, and this is going to be okay. She didn't have to do that. I mean, there were teachers I knew my whole life from St. James that didn't so much and call me, but here's this woman who I just met who has pulled me to the side saying it's going to be okay. And I had this love of journalism. And she ran with that love. And the only thing I loved more than journalism at that time was baseball. And I was a good ball player. But Gandy pulled me to the side the end of sophomore year. And she wanted me to do two things. Number one, she wanted me to focus more on academics than baseball. Now at 15 years old, you're in the hood, baseball was what I did. But she stressed that I had a future that was probably not going to involve baseball, but it was going to be very bright. So she wanted me to take this advanced English class, junior year. I didn't quite get it, because I wasn't going to be in class with my friends, and Carol Schreiben was the teacher of this advanced English class, AP English, um, junior year. Only thing I say about Carol Schreiben is she was one of the weirdest people I ever met in my life. Lousy teacher. She didn't want me in the class. She told me how I was one of them. Now, what did that mean? I don't know, 15 years old. But what Schreiben did was all the Vetner and Margate kids, they were like beloved by her. And the Atlantic City kids, if you were white in Atlantic City, or a few of us, we were viewed as white trash. Schreiben didn't want me in her class. And I said to Miss Gandia, this woman just doesn't want me there. And Gandia's like, okay, well, we'll get you out of that class. But there's going to be things I want you to watch. There's going to be things I want you to see. She goes, and this year, there's going to be things I'm going to want you to do. I'll let you out of Schreiber's class. But there's going to be more obstacles coming your way. And with these obstacles, I'm going to need you to be a fighter. I don't know what the hell she means at this point, you know. I have no idea. And we're in a we're in the auditorium one day. And I see Gandy. And Carol Schreiben's class is in there. And they're giving a speech on Dr. Martin Luther King. And all these white kids from Ventnor and Margate were like mocking him and saying little racist jokes in their own little world. Now understand something. These kids were basically pussies, but in their own little world, they could be tough. I mean, they would have pissed themselves on the jitney, all right? But in their own little world, they were tough. And Schreiben is like laughing as they're making these little racist jokes. And Gandhi looks at me and she elbows me. She goes, see? And I didn't quite get what that meant at that point. She goes, in this world, Amadeo, she goes, in this world, you're going to have to take on fights. 
You gotta remember, those people there don't know what struggle is. You do. Keep that in mind, kid. Okay, whatever. Junior year life changed. Mock trial. Here's where everything takes this weird turn. The Atlantic City High School mock trial team was an elite mock trial team. State championship after state championship. And let me tell you who was on the team. They were wealthy Jewish kids from Margate. Um, that's who was on this team. And tryouts were kind of intense. Twelve people made the team, right? It was usually like 60 or 70 trying out for the team. So imagine like an elite basketball team. There's going to be a lot of talent that's not going to make the squad. Keith Gradziel was one of the coaches of mock trial. I love Grads. Great man. Was my history teacher junior year. And I told Grads, hey, I, I want to try out for mock trial because I want you to do it. Now at this time in life, I don't have the grades. I don't have that image. And I walk in the mock trial, and you had to be suited up. And back then, we, we were poor. I didn't have, like, the nice suits that the Margate kids did. And they're all just kind of looking at you, kind of, like, chuckling as you walk in the room. And tryouts hit. And there was, like, a couple cuts. So I make the first cut. And Gandhi says to me, hey, what's going on with mock trial? I'm like, well, I made the first cut. She says, okay, I want you to stay after school. You want to talk? Okay. So we're in the Viking room. The Viking was the newspaper of AC High. I was the sports writer and editor for years there, uh, sophomore, junior, senior year. And that's how Miss Gandy and I got really close. She had a career in journalism. But let me tell you about Miss Gandy. Before we go any further, this is important. She was a black woman who grew up in Virginia, and her name was Gandia. She was one of the toughest people I ever knew in my life. She experienced so much in her life. You know, there's some people out there that say we're protesting and we're oppressed and all this other stuff that are faking it. You could have walked a mile in Miss Gandia's shoes. I mean, it's okay if you're getting paid on the side by some losers that, you know, you want to fake a cause for. But what a real cause would be walking down a time of true racism in Virginia, fighting for your life. Because some of the people that claim they're community activists, they couldn't have fucking survived back then. You know? It wasn't like Miss Gandia was getting government assistance. She was going to college and working her ass off and not faking injuries. But I digress. So now, live audience is like, oh... Going to, I wonder if anyone will catch on to that one. I'm probably not smart enough. When they when they watch this, they'll be like really confused, which is normal for them. There's a couple of haters out there. You know who I'm talking about. Well, maybe you don't, but you'll try to figure it out. And then maybe somebody a little more educated will tell you, "Oh, I think he's talking shit about you." And then a few months later, you'll say, "I'm an ass." I know how it works. Anyway, so where was I? Miss Candia. Tough bitch, man. So, Gandhi pulls me to the side, and she goes, listen, mock trial, this is you. This is your way out. So I'm telling her, there's two more series of cuts. 
I'm not going to make the team. She goes, why not? Well, there's this one and there's that one. Just f*** them. Because you're better than them. I'm like, Andy, I'm getting B grades in average classes. I am not going to make that team. Now, when she was mad or passionate, she, her voice real southern come out. Amadeo, you're going to make that team. Because I want you focused on that team. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I go home that day. And one of the things I did every day when I went home was I would throw the baseball against the Patsy Wallet's wall and practice my fielding for hours. So I get home, and Aunt Mayor's sitting there with her arms folded. Like, hey, Aunt Mayor, what's going on? She goes, you're not going to play ball tonight. What are you talking about? She goes, Miss Scandia said, you have a chance to make the mock trial team. Go up to your room and practice. And I'm like, Aunt Mayor, she goes, Miss Scandia said it. Go to to your room and practice. Till this day, I will tell you, there's nobody in this world really scared of. My aunt scared the shit out of me. Miss Gandia scared the shit out of me. Gangbangers, prosecutors who think they're tough, angry judges, um, fake protesters, a lot of people who think they're tough, I kind of laugh about. Miss Gandia scared the shit out of me. Okay. So I'm practicing. I get to school early. Gandhi pulls me to the side and says, did you practice? Like, yeah. She says, well, you come back after tryouts today. Okay. Made the second series of cuts. I go down, see Miss Gandhi. I said, okay, made the second series of cuts. There's one more next week. She says, okay, I want you to do A, B, C, and D. She gave me a key to the Viking room. She says, I want you to practice here alone. She goes, here's how you focus on the day. I've studied you. I watch you with your headphones on all the time. This is so weird, isn't it? She goes, when you have your headphones on, you're listening to music, you focus, you can tune the world out. She goes, I want you to bring your headphones in, lock the door, listen to music while you're practicing. And if anybody knows me today, this is the traditional look earphones are in and by the way i know despite having money i still use these earbuds because it's the closest thing i have back to those old headphones back in the day so it's kind of symbolic of not forgetting where you came from i love these things so miss gandia said if i put my headphones in and blast my music and shut the rest of the world out i will excel in law that's what she said so i'm practicing my asshole so now i realize this is not about me my aunt, Miss Gandhi, and mom to a lower level, they want me on this f***ing team. I didn't really want to be part of the team, but now I want to make them happy. I make the team. And people were pissed off. There were many kids and families in Margate that were saying it's bullshit that this white trash kid made the team. Now, what was white trash about me? I'm really curious. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't use drugs, I always went to school. All I did was go to school, work, and practice. There was nothing white trash about my family. Were we poor? Hell yeah. But I want you to remember something, being poor 
doesn't make you trash. Your social economic situation does not make you trash. So don't forget that in your journey. Because people will confuse that. Don't ever confuse social economics and class. I make this team. Aunt Mare's jumping up and down. She's excited and crying. And um, practice was Tuesday and Thursday nights. And it was rough because you used to have to go home late at night from practice. Like 6 to 8.30 or something like that. So it was dangerous going home. Now obviously none of the Margate kids found was going to drive me home. It was the other different direction. So you're taking the jitney or you're walking home on the boardwalk. I kind of felt my headphones and it was safe. You know, I don't know what it was, but there was always this comfort. And I, the live audience can attest to this. Do I not, like, lock myself in that little room with my f***ing headphones on and try to make masterpieces? That's where it comes from. It comes from Miss Scandia telling me, put your headphones in and shut out the world. Today, she would be screaming, Amadeo, don't f***ing text anybody. Get to work. That's what she would be saying. So I'm on this elite team now. Things would get rough. Elliot Geller. Elliot Geller was on the team. Elliot Geller was a Jewish kid from Margate. His father was a rabbi. And Elliot thought he was God's gift to the world. Um, really arrogant prick. That's the only way I could put it. And Elliot was kind of a leader. They followed him around like he was king of the world. So one day a group of them tell me, we don't want you on this team anymore. We don't like you. We don't want you here. You're not one of us. Now, here's what I'm thinking. I am tired of going home 8.30 at night on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I want to go home watching TV. I want to go play ball. I'm missing throwing the ball against the wall and practicing my fielding. What do I need to be on this f***ing team for? So I got my sh and I went down to leave. And Miss Gandia was there, of course. She worked late hours sometimes. And she goes, Amadeo, get in here. And I'm like, what? And I'm like really depressed. This was a day that would change my life forever. She goes, why aren't you at practice? I tell her what happened. I'm like, look, I'm not one of them. She goes, thank God for that. I said, I just want to go home. I had enough of this shit. She goes, you're not, you're not leaving. Go back up there now. And I'm like, no, I've had enough of this. I'm going to quit. I don't want to be part of this. And she goes, you're not leaving. All right. So, we're arguing. Now, she did something today which would cause a lot of CPS issues, I imagine. She grabs me by the neck. And she's choking me out. And she goes, Amadeo, you're f***ing going back up there. You're going to tell those motherfuckers you're not quitting this team. We're counting on you. Now, I didn't know what that meant. We are counting on you. 
just you can't quit. She let me go so I could breathe again. <laughs> and um, I said, I just don't want to do this. She goes, she takes my mock trial book, really, and she says, I want you to look at this book. I want you to embrace this. And I had a baseball in my book bag. She grabs the baseball out, right? She goes, this is not your future. This is. She goes, I want you to own this shit. You go up there and you tell Elliot Geller to go f*** himself. You tell those motherfuckers you're here to stay and you become the best player on that team. She goes, you have to do this. She goes, honey, I'm sorry. I know you're going through shit. Get the f*** up there now. Alright. So I go up there, I go sit in my seat, and Gower goes, I thought we told you to leave. I said, dude, go f*** yourself. I'm here. I'm not leaving. F*** off. You want me off this team, you go talk to the coach, let's see what they have to say about it. And from that day, there was this kind of fire, right? It was almost like she instilled this kryptonite in me. So after practice that night... I asked Coach for, um, like, several books. You had your one mock trial book? I asked for a bunch so I could start printing them up. And I got home, and I told Aunt Mary what happened. Aunt Mary was crying. She goes, I knew you were going to quit. I just know. I said, no, I didn't quit. Miss Gandhi made me go back up. And I said, I'm, I'm going to make this. Don't worry, Aunt Mary. And I, like, I tapped Aunt Mary on the shoulder. It was, like, the first moment I ever felt like, in a way, I was, like, the parent. She taught me everything, but at this moment, I was going to take the lead on something. This is going to be us. I know what I got to do. This is it. And from that moment on, like, I love the law. I just practiced and practiced and practiced while I was blue in the face. And the key about being good at something is when you like practicing. So when we practice and it's required, people hate it. Wayne Gretzky once said he loved the practice. That was the thing. You started loving what you were doing with it. Now, part of it was, I don't like my teammates. They're ass. They have more money than me right now. They flex it. So I want to stick it up their ass. Another part of, more important, I want to make Aunt Mary and Miss Candia proud. And then I just learned, this is my way out. This is it. If I can control this, the law. I could take this shit and just run with it. We're not going to be in the ghetto much longer. I could feel that. Like this surge of energy came on. We won a state title that year. And um, I remember after we won the state title, it was weird. Chris Gandy was there. And all the teammates were hugging each other and their families were hugging each other. And I just beelined to Aunt Mary and Miss Gandy. We just hugged each other. Like I wasn't celebrating with the team at all. I was so happy that we made it. And I didn't lose one tournament. What they did at mock trial was you either um, play over defense and they picked who went. So you didn't pra you didn't play every game depending on what the draw was. I never lost any tournament for those two years. I was the best on that team. And I know a lot of people say, no, you weren't. And I will say, yeah, I was. And I will tell you what, I think proof might be in the pudding. <laughs> you know, but whatever. Senior year, we went to the state finals and lost. Um, it wasn't my draw on that. And I will say, the guys on the mock trial team, um, I don't even think we're Facebook friends. I mean, maybe it was a couple of them, but it, it's... 
We never connect it. Um, and there's something learned about that situation. Like, you could be in a situation where you hate your surroundings, but you could still achieve things. You don't have to fit in with these people socially. We went to Georgia for the Nationals. They all went to, like, clubs and stuff. I guess they were sneaking the clubs with fake IDs or something. I was up in my room practicing. That's what it became for me. And I'll always be grateful that Graziel wanted me to try out for it. And more importantly, Miss Gandia forced me to stay on the team. And uh, that changed everything. I know if I would have left that day, I would not be here today. I know that day, that cold, rainy day in fall of the mid-90s changed my life. And um, she was special, man. She literally forced me into my future. Senior year was different. You know, senior year, um, she was sick. I don't think everybody knew it, but she wasn't in school as much. She was taking a lot of time off. And she was real... <laughs> she was testy. I didn't know she was sick, but she was kind of testy about things. And there were things that she would have me do, which I didn't quite understand. I like certain girls, you can't date them. You know, she knew, she could sense trouble a mile away. And like, this is when the whole Golden Boy Together thing really became a reality. We gotta protect Bill. Um, he needs to be protected. Because he's gonna do something that a lot of the other ones aren't gonna be able to do. We gotta protect him. So senior year kind of went off without a hitch. I didn't really like senior year, but um, it was right after graduation. I got the cold that she passed away. And in some weird way, I feel like she hung on till I graduated. You know, I gave the eulogy at her funeral. There were so many poor kids from Atlantic City. Not all of us took advantage of it, unfortunately, but... Miss Scandia took an interest in each one of us. And she sold talent in so many of us. And what she did, which was like a mother, she would exploit that talent to help our better, to better us. You're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a writer, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. In my opinion, uh, we all owe Miss Scandia a lot that came from that area. And I talked to a few people from back then. And I will say the ones of us that have found success, we control it back to the Viking room. There's no question about it. There's so many of us that are dead or in prison, died too young. And what she was, in my opinion was the true role model for those of us that didn't have socioeconomics. If you were a poor kid and you were placed in her class, she wanted to find a way to change your life on economics, education. She wanted you to have a better world. I miss her every day. I always feel that there's Aunt Mare, there's Mom and Miss Gandia watching over me every day. I have a lot of loved ones, but those three women were such powerful influences in my life. I can never repay Miss Scandia. I owe her so much. And I hope I haven't let her down, 
because she don't measure a man by money or success. She measures you by the totality of things. And I know sometimes there's been times I'm sure I let her down. You know, I think any of our role models, we let them down at times. Um, there's been times in my career where to win a case, I did what I felt I had to do. And I think sometimes in life we always say to ourselves, well, the ends justify the means. That may or may not be true. If you come from where I come from, you have to learn how to be a survivor. And I know any positive thing about me stems from those three women. There's no question about that. So, Miss Gandy, if you're watching, hope I didn't piss you off too much tonight. I love you. Miss you. And I owe you. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Let me start by saying this. I have always loved music. I love dancing. But music and dancing have not always loved me. And this is one of those stories about being a kid where um, things took some strange turns this night. I was going over an old journal. I've been working all day. I'm kind of burned out. Gym, work, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I thought of this one story and I just figured I'll share it today. Because Josh Strickland from Shiawassee Radio said people want to hear about my life. My concern is the more you guys hear about the life, the more unstable you may think I am. So, pretty good in court, but some pretty bizarre things happen along the way. And this, my friends, is one of those bizarre nights. So, year's 1998. And there's four people that are going to hang out. There's Q. There's Scott, there's me, and there is Chuck McGeever. Let me give you some <laughs> background on these people. Q, Henry DeHedeville, my best friend growing up. Um, Q is a pharmacist today. We were best friends since we were six years old. <clears throat> he went to Holy Spirit, I went to AC High. We reconnected at Stockton College. Um, Q is a great guy. And he was definitely there this night. Scotty Zolber. <sighs> May he rest in peace. What a great guy Scott Zolber was. Fantastic bankruptcy lawyer. Died way too young. Scott was from Margate. And Margate was a suburbs. And one of the things Scott used to do is he would pick me up in Ducktown. Before I had a car, we'd hang out, go lift weights and play ball, whatever. Miss Scott Zolber a lot. When I was struggling to get into law school, Scott Zolber was always like this voice of encouragement. There's not a day go by that I don't want to call Scott Zolber up and discuss cases with him and Eagles football and special guy. And I'm sure one day I will do a live on Scott Zolber A to Z. Not today, though. I'm going to try and keep it light today. Because that one was 
that's emotionally draining, and I do miss Scott. But he was definitely part of the story, and he plays a pretty big role. And Chuck McGeever. Some of you have heard about Chuck before. Chuck McGeever was one of my college professors. He was my favorite college professor. And things took some weird turns, as we will see. So, back in 1998, I am driving this little gray Le Mans. If you know what a Le Mans is, a little tiny car. It was worth about a thousand bucks. And it had like a thousand dollar system in it. Because back then, as a, ch as a kid, we were kids, it was really cool to blast your music and have it bounce down the street. So the music in the car was worth more than the vehicle itself. And we always thought we were cool driving around the salons. Well, that's what it was. And one night, we're going to go to this club. Chuck, my professor, said, hey, I want you guys to come to a club. Alright, cool, let's go to a club. Now, at this point, I'm bartending in the casino, and I'm going to college full-time, and I'm a kid. Uh, Q is also doing that. Scott, Q is, he's working, I forget, he was working at CBS or something like that, and he was going to college full-time. Scotty Z Zolber was also working at CVS. We're going to go to this club that Chuck McGeever wants us to go to. And this is like, here's what's really weird when you start this story. The live audience is kind of cracking up already because they know what could be coming. Even though we have these three pretty intelligent people in this vehicle, this is before the internet was on your phone, right? And for some reason, none of us really looked up what this club was. Chuck McGeever said, hey, we're going to go to this club in Atlantic City. Cool. Let's do this shit. I'm pumped up. <laughs> at this time of life, we kind of knew what happened at clubs. And I had never really been a club guy. But tonight, we're going. We're going to do this. We're there. So as we get to the club, three of us pull up. Chuck drove there on his own. And I say to the guys, hey, in case any of us get late tonight, I bought condoms. I had like this 40-pack of condoms, right? And Q looks at me and he goes, you're really being optimistic about what's going to happen tonight. You bought 40 condoms? And Grable, I'm sorry, not Grable, sorry, not Scott Grable, Zorber says... Well, I'm glad you got enough for me. What are you guys going to do? So here's a little background. We're all pretty intelligent in our own ways. Zolber was pretty arrogant. And in Zolber's mind at this young age, maybe he thought he was going to get laid 40 times. I'm, like, very optimistic. Thinking, hey, I'm telling everybody we're going to do this. And Q was the level-headed one. Like, look, dude. I don't know if we're going to be hanging by ourselves all night. But for you to even buy condoms... Okay, good luck with that, B. Let's see what happens. We go into the club. And we sit down. And we have, like, a male waiter that comes up to us. Now, we're underage at this point. Scott Zorber drank. Not heavy, but he drank a little bit when he was a kid. Um, Q and I never drank. So we're sneaking into this club. And... The waiter says, what do you guys want to drink? I order a ginger ale. Q orders a ginger ale. Scott gets a Long Island iced tea. 
Now, Scotty's kind of looking at us, shaking his head. We're like, what? He goes, so we're sneaking into a club with a 40-pack of condoms, drinking soda. Is that what the f*** you guys are doing right now? Like, oh, I mean, condoms are in the car. We need them. Uh, if something happens, good tonight. And, yeah, we don't drink. We never drank. For whatever reason, Zolver really decided to throw them back that night. And if you drink Long Island iced teas, vodka, gin, rum, triple sec, tequila, sour mix, coke. It looks like an iced tea. My bartending days, I never drank, but I can tell you what it is. Long Island iced teas are no joke. And Scott, when he drank, he was a different personality. So Chuck comes in, a little late. And he sits down, and he's hugging all these people at the door. And, like, wow, he knows everybody here. Now, here's what was confusing at this point. I'm looking around the club, and I'm thinking to myself, man, where are the women at? I see all these guys. Where are the chicks? I don't get this. You know? And Q says to me, yeah, it is weird. I don't see many women here at all. And Scott's drinking. He goes, oh, they'll f***ing be here. So Chuck comes. He's hugging us. He sits down. I say, hey, what do you want to drink? We order. Chuck drinks. And we're sitting there, like, talking philosophy. Here's all the, these four intellectuals. And I just bought my aunt the house in Ventnor. This is, like, one of the first nights I just went out. All I did was work, school, work, school. Letting it all loose. By drinking my ginger ale with Q. With a bunch of condoms I probably won't use. So Chuck seemed a little blitz. I don't know if he did some drugs before he came that night. But there's a karaoke portion of this place. So Zolber, being drunk, signs up to sing karaoke. Chuck is all excited. Me and Q are like, oh, what the fuck? Now, I sang a little bit in the band before, but I sucked. Zolber is... When he was drunk, he was aggressive. He was over the top. And so I was like, ah, we're going to f***ing drink. Now, here's the thing about Scott. When he liked to drink, his tolerance was really low. So by his second Long Island iced tea, he is blitzed out of his mind. Chuck's hugging all these guys. I don't see any women in the bar at all. Q looks confused. I don't know what's happening. Next thing you know, we're up on stage singing. Now, for whatever reason... I don't know why. Um, when I sang, I always was like a mosh pit. Like I'd be jumping around. And the song we were singing, we sang two. One was the Flintstones theme song. You know, the Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones. All right. That's what Zolber picked. The second one was um, Love Shack by the B-52s. And Zolber's kind of exhausted. Chuck is, like, blushing. He's all happy. Q is just standing there confused. And I don't realize it, but the second time we sang the Flintstones, I was up on stage alone. And for some reason, I'm, like, jumping around like it's a mosh pit, like, screaming about the Flintstones song. I mean, the, I'm flipping the microphone in the air. I'm jumping off the balls. It was really... It was weird, man. It was... And the crowd starts screaming, do it again, do it again. I'm like, you want it? You got it? And I'm like, play the Flintstones again. 
So here's Chuck having the time of his life. Q is completely confused. Scott is going to the bathroom to puke and he keeps coming out. And after he pukes, he starts drinking again and he's screaming. You know, alright. So, after a lot of singing and dancing, we move to another end of the bar. And Chuck sees this guy he's friends with. Now, he goes up to the guy and he goes really nervous. He's like, hey, uh, Ken's here. Like, okay, who the hell's Ken? Well, he's a friend of mine. I haven't seen him in a while. Like, oh. Alright. I think at this point, like, he was catching on that something is not quite as we perceived it to be. There's no women at this bar. I'm singing the Flintstones. Zorber's puking and drunk. Q, being the strong Catholic he is, is very confused, but he's probably the smartest one in the group. And Chuck is very nervous about seeing this guy, Ken. Now, let's back up on Chuck. Chuck was married with a couple kids. The marriage was a little odd. She was in West Virginia. He came out here to teach at Stockton. Um, at this point, I always just... Well, wait for it. You know, we talk about women all the time. Hey, I like this girl. He Give me advice. They're not there, though. I mean, he literally told me these two girls I had a big crush on were going to be there that night. I don't see any women anywhere. And I'm like looking, like, huh. Women will show up, but we'll, we'll get... That will... Wait for it. So Chuck sees Ken, and he's nervous about Ken. He goes, oh, God, Ken's here. And I'm like, all right. So he goes up to Ken, and Ken just disses on me. Like, it was like the 1998 version of ghosting someone. He goes, yeah, I don't feel like talking to you. And Ken's being really arrogant. And all of Ken's friends are, like, hanging there, like, mocking Chuck. And Chuck is, Chuck's almost, like, crying. Now, this is my mentor, one of my mentors. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you crying for? As well, Ken and I were friends and now we're not talking. So, me being who I am, the defender, I go up to Ken and his group. I said, dude, I don't know what your problem is. You're hurting Chuck's feelings over here. I don't know what the situation was, but apparently you guys were friends. And, uh, I don't understand why you'd be a prick to him tonight. And I don't appreciate that. He's done a lot for me. And Ken goes, oh, I bet he's done a lot for you. Like, yeah, he's, um, he's taught me about metaphysical poets, he's taught me about literature, and I'm going on and on, like, I am the PR guy for Chuck McGeever. And he goes, kid, Chuck has come up a little short. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, no, no he hasn't. That man, in every one of his classes, we go to the end, he lets us come in on his office hours, Chuck McGeever does not come up short, let me tell you that right the f*** now, man. So he goes, whoa, he goes, you're really passionate, aren't you? Because I could see what Chuck sees in you. I said, oh, well, I do believe I'm his favorite student. He goes, oh, I bet you are. He goes, do you want to go back to my place and talk more? I go, I don't know you. Why would I go back to your place and talk more? So he kind of puts his hand on my left shoulder. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, get off my shoulder. Because we'll just be cursed me and Chuck have problems. It doesn't mean me and you have that problems. I don't think we have a problem. I'm just defending Chuck. Now, if you look at Q, there's like sweat coming down from his brows. Zolber's laughing. Chuck is crying. So Q goes, B, um, 
I think these guys are hitting on you. Like, what? No. So, look, I got no problem with homosexuality. He goes, no, I know you don't, but you're not homosexual. You're missing something here. Where the f*** are the women? Chuck's crying over this guy, Ken. This guy's touching your arm asking you to go back to his apartment. He goes, do you need a f***ing invitation here? He goes, this is not what we expected tonight. Okay, calm down. He's married. This guy hurt his feelings. You are completely off base. Hugh goes, am I? I'm like, hmm, I think you are. Zolbert's just laughing his ass off. Between puking, Scott's laughing. I don't know. So a bunch of women walk in. Like, oh, here we go. Not the girls I was expecting, but hey, here's some cute girls that walked in the door. And Chuck says to me, he goes, you know what would really get these women interested? I'm like, what's that? He goes, we should just get out there and start dancing. Now there's nobody on the dance floor, right? He goes, no, 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 we should start dancing. And then the girls will start dancing. So I said, okay, cool. So I get out there and I'm, I'm a lousy dancer, but I'm dancing. And I don't realize I'm actually dancing with Chuck, which, okay. Trying to make a move towards the girls. I'm not thinking anything. Oh, we're dancing on the dance floor. Zolber is laughing his ass off right now. Q is extremely stressed out. Me and McGeever on the dance floor. I'm trying to get with these chicks. There's this one little blonde, like five foot. Adorable. And I just go up to her, hey, can I buy you a drink? She's pretty excited. She says, yeah, buy me a drink. So we're talking, I'm Bill, I'm April, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. We're hitting it off. Everything's going good. So she tells me where she works. Now, I don't know these bars. So, but she says to me, hey, you know I work at this place, right? Like, oh, no, no, that's great. Tell me about your job. She goes, well, I work there. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the place she worked was a transvestite bar. I didn't know anything. Like, like I said, we didn't Google anything here, right? So, apparently she wasn't really a girl. Um, nothing happened there. But Chuck gets a little butthurt. He goes, why are you talking to her? And blah, blah, blah. He goes, listen, what you don't know is she's not a female. So I'm like, oh, okay. So he's like, well, wait a minute. Are you still into her? I'm like, no, I'm not. So I have no problem with transvestites, homosexuals, but I am straight. So if she's not really a girl, I'm not going to continue to buy her drinks and try to get with her. He goes, well, I'm really glad to hear that. He was like, look, we got to get the f out of here man let's just go so chuck is like yeah let's go we should all leave he goes but i'm really drunk can you drive me home I'm like sure i'll drive everybody home so we'll squeeze this lamont right <laughs> um q and scott live in margate so i'm going to take them to margate then i'm going to take chuck to galloway and chuck is like yeah it's really good we dropped them off first Okay, well, I mean, it makes sense to drop them all first or closer. Like, guys, I'm missing all these signs. Like, I am so clueless right now. I'm just missing sign after sign after sign. But here we are. So I drop Q off, and Q's like, yo, 
bait. Give him money for a cab. Don't drive him to his house. Like, why? He needs a ride. He's drunk. He goes, no. Don't. Alec Q, go home, man. I'll talk to you later. Okay? Drops over off. And Q and Zorba, like, live near each other in Margate. So Zorba's like, yeah, drop him off. Let me know how it goes. And Zorba's laughing. Okay. So Chuck jumps in the front seat. We're, uh, driving. And... You know, we're talking about life. So, so if you don't get tenure, what are you going to do? And he goes, I always find it fascinating. You care about others and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know, I'm a nice guy, I guess. He goes, sorry, these two girls that jumped. Like, yeah, it's all right. No big deal. We had a good time. So I get to his apartment. Now, his apartment, it was like a student ghetto type thing where all these college kids lived. You had to walk up three flights of stairs. Like, hey, are you okay to walk up? It's like, I'd feel better if you walked up with me. All right, sure. You're drunk. I woke up. I walk up to his apartment, and he's laying out on the couch. And he's got, like, this baseball on the shelf. Now, we never told baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan. So I said, oh, wow, what's up with the baseball? Goes, oh, you like the baseball? I'm like, oh, yeah, tell me the story of the baseball. So he pulls out the baseball. Because, you know, I never really played ball, but I filled in. For like this uh, collegiate intramural team, and I got this big hit, and that's a story to baseball. So oh, that's cool. So I'm, you know, I'm flipping the baseball in the air. Yeah, you know, it's football, but you get the hit, get the point. So I'm just sitting there. I'm like, so I guess you're gonna crash. I'll head home. Cause you should come in the bedroom with me. I'm like, why? Like, well, let's. I want to show you something. Okay, what's up? So we get in the bedroom, and he says, I want us to sleep in the same bed together. I'm like, what? what no, why are we going to sleep in the same bed together? He goes, look, nobody's going to know about this. We should be together. You're my favorite student. I've always had these feelings for you, developing to such a cute young man. Like, oh, whoa, whoa, dude, what? Stop. Listen, you're drunk. I went to the club thinking that this chick Stacy was going to show up. She doesn't show up. Now you're telling me you want to basically sleep in the same bed. What the f*** happening here? And he goes, just go with it. I'm like, not going with anything. Like, listen, you go to sleep. You're tired. I'm going to head out of there. So he kind of makes a move on me. I push him back. I said, dude, you've got to stop now. And I have to punch him in the face. And I run the f*** out of the apartment. Okay. That was weird. I'm calling Q up. Like, what the fuck, dude? He made a move on me. And Q's like, no sh. Like, what are you thinking, B? He goes, the guy was drunk. He stared at you all night. His quasi boyfriend was saying how he comes up short, but he wants to go back to the apartment with you. How many red flags did you miss tonight? Now, this is before taxing. Because I can imagine today Q would have said, taxing, yo, B, here's what's going on. I'm missing the signs. This is one of my heroes. But okay, he is drunk. No big deal. I call Zolber, Zolber's drunk, like, he's got a little hangover going, he starts laughing, he goes, yeah, of course he made a move on you. Like, I'm the only one not to see this. I get home. Aunt Mare and Mom. Now, let me back up. Aunt Mare and Mom are strong, strong Catholics. Open to homosexuality, but they would not be thrilled if their son was homosexual. 
never had a problem. I was always into women, obviously, but Aunt Mary and Mom are crying, and they're holding these rosary beads. And Aunt Mary screams, Billy! You're okay! I'm like, yeah, what's up? She's like, it's gonna be okay! She goes, we're gonna get you help! What happened tonight? Oh, it was really weird, Aunt Mary. We went to this club. Um, Chuck tried to make a move on me. And what did you do? I had to, I had to punch him. I had to get the f*** out of there. It was so odd. And my mom's crying. She goes, you are so smart and good looking. So many women like you, Billy. Stop. We're going to get you to help you. Like, Guys, what are you talking about? They both kind of grabbed me by the hand, right? Now, back in the day, in 1998, answering machines were a big thing. They were huge. And they play this answer. I get this message, and they play it. And the message went something like this. This message is for Bill Amadeo. This is Dr. Charles McGeever. Please come back and sleep in my bed with me so we could express our feelings. I know you really want to do this. Please call me, Bill, and come back as soon as possible. So now Aunt Mary... <laughs> Sorry. Aunt Mary and Mom thinking, oh my god, he hooked up with this Chuck. What the fuck happened here? And the proof is on this answer machine that Chuck is telling them, hey, come back to my bed. We're supposed to be together. And I'm sitting there like... Whoa, Aunt Mary, Mom, nothing happened. I'm telling you, nothing happened. He made a move. I told him to stop. I pushed him away. He made another move. I had to punch him to get him away from me. I felt bad I punched a drunk who I looked up to, but I got the hell out of there. Nothing. And Anna Barella, I want you to envision Gloria Neary and Mary Lee Neary getting that answering machine message at 2.30 in the morning on a Friday night. <laughs> so... I'm explaining Aunt Mary and Mom. Look, guys, you gotta believe me here. It was a completely confusing situation. I didn't do anything. Actually, I have homosexual friends. I'm completely pro-homosexual, but I'm not homosexual myself, and you guys know this. Well, you looked up the Chuck and he maybe he took advantage of you. No, 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 he didn't. He tried. I knocked him out. That is the trip. Thank you, Scott and Chuck. Circa 1998. Oh, Scotty's gone, unfortunately. Um, Chuck actually died relatively young age. And he was doing well, and finally, enjoy your weekend. I'm Bill Amadeo. Bye. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the 
the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.